to uh, be an athlete, you need to know how to play with pain or you're not going to play very many games. And to follow Jesus, you need to know how to handle the pain of criticism or you won't be following him for very long. Do you know how to handle it when, and I'm quoting Jesus right now, someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me? Because that hurts. It, it is painful and <laughs> it's personal. You feel like it's totally unfair. And this kind of criticism for Christians is going up in our culture, in our time. It's happening in, in more places for more reasons and with more intensity. Columnist uh, Nicholas Kristof, who's, who's not a believer, he writes about global need. And he noticed this, quote, go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, obstetric fistula, human trafficking, or genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians or conservative Catholics, similar in many ways, he says, who truly live their faith. I'm not particularly religious myself, Christoph says, but I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way, and it sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. Well, Christoph's description of what Christians are doing around the globe is just a simple statement of fact. But, oh, man, did the comments board light up when he wrote that. Uh, one of the short ones was BS and sophomoric. It sickened me. And here's, I just chose one of the longer ones. Uh, <clears throat> evangelical atrocities are indelibly etched into the pages of world history and should never be forgotten. Given the choice of following atheist or religious leaders, Atheists win every time. The Crusades, the Inquisition, the Dark Ages, excommunication of geniuses, you can fill in a thousand more blanks of religious treachery, all brought to you by the church, should forever turn away anyone foolish enough to think religion offers anything other than darkness, fear, regressive thinking, and greed. Thanks for sharing. But let's not think that the criticism you and I will get as Christians is limited to those who do not share our faith. Just as Jesus got his severest criticism from his fellow Jews. As you and I try to follow Jesus, we may get some very severe criticism from our fellow Christians. I mean, just to take a few leaders within our little C4SO family. Our Bishop Todd Hunter is told you're not Anglican enough because he ordains women to the priesthood. Esau Macaulay is told you're a socialist because he writes about racial justice. And Tish Harrison Warren is told you're a progressive and you're woke because she led a seminar that used gay Christians in its title and she writes for the New York Times. I remember in one church years ago, Karen 
was called Jezebel. And in case you missed Sunday school that week, Jezebel is someone in the Bible who murders hundreds of God's prophets. And why did she get called that? Well, because she was doing the work of a pastor. And one day she said, wouldn't it make more sense to call me what I'm actually doing? Now, all that kind of criticism, like I've given examples of, whether it comes from the culture or the church, whether it's more from the right or the left, makes me angry. I don't know how you react. How do you react when you get criticized like that? Or maybe somebody you love gets criticized like that. Maybe you're in a situation at your work uh, where you live with some acute awareness that if my true beliefs were to be known uh, in all sectors here at work, that could negatively affect my career. And in fact, some of you here at Savior have had job opportunities close up because of your Christian belief. So tonight, I want us to look at how is it that we can handle this criticism that Jesus told us will come for those who follow him. Now, thankfully, he went on to tell us how. But I do want to give you a fair warning. The way of handling criticism that Jesus sets forth for us does not come naturally, and it's not going to make sense, at least at first. Let's look at it together. If you would turn there in your gospel reading to Luke chapter 6, right at the beginning, coming down off the mountain with them, Jesus stood on a plain. Just a flat space where a lot of people can gather. It's probably less rocky, maybe some grass for them to all to sit down on. And he was surrounded by disciples and was soon joined by a huge congregation from all over Judea and Jerusalem, even from the seaside towns of Tyre and Sidon. Now, how big was this huge congregation that's gathered around Jesus? Well, we know that at times Jesus drew crowds of 5,000 men plus women plus children. So I think a reasonable estimate is somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people. I mean, en enough to pretty well fill a basketball arena. And what they all have in common is this. They had come both to hear Jesus and to be cured of their diseases. Those disturbed by evil spirits were healed. Everyone was trying to touch him. So much energy surging from him. So many people healed. Now, every time I go to a major medical center, it's always under construction so it can get bigger and there's never enough parking. Can I get a witness? Yes, because if, you, if there's a place where you can go where you might get healing for yourself or for your loved one, you will make your way there. And what's happening on this day is Jesus is the major medical center. Everybody's just streaming toward him. I tried to imagine us all being there that day and around us in the crowd, you can see some people who are pale or gaunt. Um, they've stopped eating maybe. maybe. Maybe there's an intestinal blockage, who knows? Some are limping. Others are being carried. Um, you see one guy over there with a goiter. They've spent money on medical bills and there's no breakthrough. And so they're just streaming toward Jesus. I imagine like people in long checkout lines at Walmart or at the DMV. 
they're just ordinary people. You know, like today they'd be wearing gray sweatpants, kind of stretched out and stained. I mean, you can smell the sweat and the stale odor of people who are living life on the edge. And here's what Jesus tells them. You're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. Or as the NIV translation uh, puts it, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor. Let's take that in for a moment. Of the many teachings of Jesus that can make us nervous, and there are many, uh, one that's right up near the top is this one, since most of us tonight gathered here don't fit that definition, and none of us wants to. I mean, for example, if you have a car, even if it's a beater, you are already among the wealthiest 17% of people in the world. You're way up there. So when Jesus is referring to the poor, who is he talking about? Is he talking about the financially poor? Or is he talking about the spiritually poor? Yes. In the Hebrew scriptures, the word poor is actually shorthand for a whole grouping of people, people who are suffering, and some of them are financially broke. They don't know how they're gonna make the rent. And others are chronically sick, and others are disabled, and others are mentally ill, and others are addicted, and some poor are suffering the shame and the rejection because they've taken their stand with God. And as one scholar puts it, their spiritual commitment has cost them in the pocketbook. Family members have rejected them and some people refuse to come to their business. So Jesus is talking here to both the financially poor and the spiritually rejected. But either way, we all know there's nothing good about being poor. So why? Why would Jesus say, blessed are you who are poor? What could possibly be blessed in any of that? Well, here it is. If you're poor, God's kingdom is there for you, meaning God is on your side. That's why Jesus is, is standing here on this plane, healing people, freeing people from dark and compulsive powers, and announcing to them, you're blessed. Uh, our our sister-in-law, who's uh, Latina, works with many Latinx folks in Northern California. And she told me that what so many of them experience here in America, where they don't have, many of them don't have access or influence is what she called a blanket of shame. I was taken by her words. And along now comes Jesus and says, let me take off that blanket of shame and let me give you a cloak of honor. God cares and God cares especially for you who are poor, who are hungry, who are crying and who are suffering because of your commitment to me. 
count yourself blessed, he says in the climax of this section, every time someone cuts you down or throws you out, every time somebody smears or blackens your name to discredit me, what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort. I imagine Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. And that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, Jesus says. Skip like a lamb if you like, for even though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. Know that you are in good company, he says. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. Let me ask you, has someone distanced themselves from you in part because of your convictions, your faith, the way you live your life? Is a family dinner at Thanksgiving or Christmas sometimes a, a, a little tense because of that? Have you had to kind of pivot and change jobs or careers because you realized there's not a lot of future for me as a Christian in this context? I'd be glad to stay, but they wouldn't. Has someone on staff, I mean, not staff, has someone said stuff about you? It's just simply not true. I remember somebody once told me 20 seconds after we met, oh, you're part of that group that hates gays. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, one, I don't, and two, you don't know me. But, but she'd read somewhere to know that ACNA clergy don't officiate at gay marriages, and therefore I must be a hater. And Jesus says, you know what you should do in that moment when something just bogus and unfair is said about you or to you, be glad. Be glad when that happens. Now, everything else Jesus says here in this sermon to lift up the poor is just blessing upon blessing and promise upon promise. But he gives one command and there's only one. And it's this one, be glad. Be happy that you just got smeared. Skip like a lamb. Now, I warned us at the very beginning, this is counterintuitive. This cuts against the grain. I hate criticism. And I'm gonna assume you do too. How can you and I possibly be glad when people come after us? Well, Jesus tells us, even though they don't like it, I do. You stood for me even at great cost in your allegiance to me you were willing to take on the shame and rejection that normally gets reserved for the financially down and out for the addicted and the sick and the chronically suffering and you took that on because of your love and your allegiance and your identification with me and heaven applauds when you do that mother Teresa was uh, not even five feet tall but uh, she was a force. And uh, you may re remember she once spoke at our national prayer breakfast where there's all these uh, Washington dignitaries and high political officials. And she says this during her breakfast speech, any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love one another, but to use any violence to get what they want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace today is abortion. 
And if that wasn't enough, she also went after contraception. Hello. So Christopher Hitchens, who some of you may recognize the name of, he considers himself an anti-theist. He, he attacked her and he, he came right after Mother Teresa. He's like, she's not a friend of the poor. She has spent her life opposing the only known cure for poverty, which is the empowerment of women and the emancipation of them from a livestock version of compulsory reproduction, unquote. Even the mayor of Calcutta came after her. Oh, no doubt, he says, there was poverty in Calcutta, but it was never a city of lepers and beggars as Mother Teresa presented it. In his book about Mother Teresa, Leo Mosberg said, it was a mystery to me how Mother Teresa coped with all the accusations and charges that were leveled against her, especially from England and also by many German authors. And he says, she gave us the answer when she spoke about dealing with insults. And here's what Mother Teresa said. If someone accuses you, ask yourself first, is he right? If he's right, go and apologize to him. If he's not right, then take that insult that you have received in both hands. Don't let it go, but seize this opportunity and give it to Jesus as a sacrifice. Be glad that you have something valuable to give to him. I love that. If you are suffering from criticism right now, do you know that your, your pain and distress is seen by God and becomes a place where his favor is especially resting upon you and known by you? So what does this all mean tonight for you and for me? Well, maybe you're now, or maybe you're afraid you will be. As far as I can see, we have three options. The first one is to be angry, which is kind of, like I said, my <laughs> native response. Just give it right back. I mean, don't let ourselves be run over by people. That's just enabling their bad behavior. Put up our dukes. That's option one, be angry. And may I say that a number of Christian leaders in our time have chosen this option. Now, option two is to be silent, to go along, to get along. Just keep quiet. Don't admit your real beliefs. Now, that silence might be strategic. Jesus said, be wise as a serpent. So I get that. Some of you are in challenging places and you need to know when to speak. But is our silence actually a betrayal of our allegiance to Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. I got to say, this is a highly tempting option in many situations. I, I, I think it actually must be for most people because Jesus specifically warns us away from it. If you look at verse 26, he says, there's trouble ahead, whereas many translations do say it. Woe, woe to you when you live only for the approval of others doing what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. Jesus says, there's trouble ahead if you choose that way. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. 
Woe is a cry of lament. Jesus is saying, I lament your future. I lament your destiny. I lament the fate that will come upon the person who goes along to gets along at the cost of their commitment and allegiance to me. There's a day of judgment and a day of reckoning, a day when that will all catch up to you and that strategy will fail. You've already received your comfort. You've already been well-fed. You've already been hungry. You've already been laughing, but you will mourn and weep because that's how people treat the false prophets. They applaud. One night I had a dream that I will never forget. In the dream, I was lying on a mattress, a very thick, cushy, comfortable mattress. And underneath the mattress, as is often the case, there was kind of that hard, supportive box spring underneath. But in this dream, I looked down and between the mattress that I'm lying on and the box spring that it's lying on are the world's poor. I saw people in saris, people of every possible uh, ethnicity and skin tone and dress. And I, I was just like, holy cow, I, I'm lying on top of the mattress, but that's lying on top of them. And I'm comfortable, but they are scrunched. They're actually bearing my weight as a rich person. And I woke up and I, I was shaken by that dream. And Jesus here is saying, one day we will wake up and the people who are on the mattress now are going to be down on the box spring. And the people on the box spring now are going to be up on top of the mattress. Gone will be the money, the fun, the popularity. And those who will be up top will be those who are willing to be criticized and rejected for my sake. Oh, it's so tempting, isn't it? We can be silent, and it does. It brings temporary peace, but temporary. Or we can get angry, and it gives us a sense of temporary power, but it's temporary. Or we can take the third way, the harder way, the blessed way, the Jesus way. And Jesus says, when somebody smears you, when somebody blackens your name to discredit me, be glad. Even if they don't like it, I do. Amen.